You know, Ed, Peter, I think that when you look at the history of policing in America and the relationship to the community, say, police, you've got to factor in technology. I'm sure you've noticed that today the debate is over body cameras. You know, some argue that body cameras will hold the police accountable. And those in the police, at least some say, yeah, we want body cameras because that's going to stop all of these false charges of police using excessive force. I think when we look back through history, most of the major changes in the way police related to communities really came through some kind of technological change. And I'll just throw out a specific example. The walkie-talkie, two-way radio, we take it for granted today, but really up until the middle of the century, police were on their own. They kind of had to develop a relationship with the neighborhood around them. They had very little centralized control. But with the advent of those two-way radios, Central Command knew exactly where those police officers were. They could send them in different places and combined with another crucial technology, cars, uh, they sent them anywhere they want. That bond between the police officer and the community that he or she policed was really broken. So, Brian, when was that? Well, Like all technology, you can mark it by the first time it was used in the 1930s in Boston or by when it became really prevalent, which in many ways was not until the 1960s and 1970s, even in larger cities. Speaking of time, Ed, why don't we put Peter on the spot and find out how technology was used in policing back in the early days of the Republic. Did they have technology in ye olde days, Peter? Well, Brian, let me tell you, this accountability business cuts two ways. In some ways, what you're describing, making the police more responsive to central authority, well, that makes the police more like the military, it seems to me. Yeah. Uh, that makes the police on the beat uh, part of a an organized force, thinking of the police collectively and able to deploy that force. Uh, and when the police emerge in America, it's in opposition to a tradition of uh, community self-governance. It's in opposition to a day watch and night watch of of people who are patrolling the neighborhoods who are members of the neighborhood who aren't responsible for anybody except in the kind of ad hoc way in which any Republican citizen is responsible for the public good. And when you talk about people in uniforms, you talk about people who are following the command of a uh, central authority, you're talking about a standing army, or as they called it in the antebellum decades in the 40s and the 50s, a civic army. Uh, that is now not part of the neighborhood, not part of the city. So, Peter, what you're saying is that the technology is the police itself. You're right, Ed. Right? It's a uniform. It's a bureaucracy. uh, It's an identity distinct from the people that it's actually policing. Yeah, it's like a machine. Uh, The individual policemen are are not autonomous, self-acting individuals. Yeah, they're They're interchangeable parts. You got it. So, Peter, let's put Ed on the spot and talk about those machines. And I mean real machines, not human technology, even though Ed makes a great point there. Ed, what kind of technology changed the relationship between police and those policed uh, in the 19th century? 
You know, once you get the civic army that Peter talked about in place, it's a natural inclination for them to adopt all kinds of technology. And so the 19th century just seems the adoption of one new kind of machine after another. Uh, Guns in the 1850s uh, begin Mm -hmm. to spread, but also photography, which as you can imagine, is a lot better than some sketch or a verbal description of somebody. And then during the Civil War, handcuffs, 1862, and then 1877, telegraph. Hold on, hold on. How'd they use the telegraph in policing? Well, before you have a telegraph or a telephone or a radio, if you're a criminal, just skipping town is a pretty effective strategy, right? There's nobody's going to be able to catch you somewhere else. And so you would see uh, in newspapers, they'll report, police received a telegraph today that... uh, suspicious characters are coming down the river, you know, from Memphis to Natchez, whatever, stay on the lookout. Uh And and around the turn of the century, they come up with an especially important technology that's especially suited to this work, and that's the fingerprint. And once you start having fingerprints, you're being able to scrutinize, surveil things that you can't even see. It strikes me that this is a, a real watershed in the way that police operate. Ed, I think you've put your finger on it. Uh, and, you know, we started we started with cameras and how they might hold the police accountable. And you've now ended with fingerprints and how the police are surveilling us down to our literal fingerprints, and that will turn into DNA. Uh, and so with this two-way relationship, technology being used to hold the police accountable on the one hand, but to surveil us on the other, where do you guys come down on the current situation with cameras? Seems to me that we've come back to the uh, early period in which we have total surveillance all the time. There are no secrets. Everything's transparent. You know, the real tension today, it seems to me, is in our notion of rights, uh, privacy rights, not to be seen And if we have total transparency on both sides, well, maybe that'll stop rogue cops from misbehaving. But what happens to us? What happens to the kinds of rights and and personal liberties that we cherish when we are always exposed? Peter, you know, you raise such a fundamental point. But I would say in instances where individuals carry the power to make life or death decisions in a split second, as police officers do, then surveillance of them and giving up a little of our privacy in the process is well worth it. Yeah. And I think too, Brian, we shouldn't discount the rights of the community to uh, safety, to predictability, and uh, the rights of the community to make sure that its agents, the people it pays to serve and maintaining social order don't abuse that power. So we as citizens want that kind of surveillance of those who conduct surveillance. Uh, That's checks and balances. That's fundamental to our system. 